Thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Colin Better, the Emerging Technology Professional Practice Principal here at ISACA. And joining me today to talk about gaining more actionable intelligence using a smarter security data lake is the Principal Security Architect for Adobe, Krishna Patil. Krishna, thank you for joining me today. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you, Pauline. Yeah, no problem. So before we get started, why don't you just give us a little background about yourself for our audience? Yeah, Colleen, like you said, I'm a principal architect uh, in Adobe security organization. Um, I have over 20 years of experience in software industry as an engineer in software engineering and data engineering, and as an architect in various domains of architecture, including application, integration, data, and now security. And prior to joining security organization, I was actually a principal architect in data and analytics domain within Adobe. And I have successfully built a multi-cloud, multi-tenant cloud data and analytics platform for our internal business functions that are directly involved in supporting customer journeys. That's awesome. So what is a data lake and why has it been appearing in the security field more frequently? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been noticing that actually there is a little bit of misunderstanding. People have different understandings of what a data lake is. So let me try to kind of demystify what a data lake is. So data lake is a large body of data in a more natural state. This is really about bringing the data from all different sources. And they naturally, basically, as you collect that data, it flows into data lake. And then you have various types of users that, that can come and use the data, or some of them, they can just examine, find, try to find some patterns, and then use for the downstream applications. Now, Data Lake is a technology that enables all this collection of this data from various sources. It provides a large storage to uh, store all this large volume of data. In fact, we're talking about multi-petabyte of data in its native format. Then it also provides a set of tools to extract value out of the data without requiring the data to be moved around. So that's really the key. Now, as far as the application of why is it being brought up in security context, if you look at security, security has always been a data problem, right? Over the recent years, security organization has really kept up with uh, bringing a lot of sensor technologies that have been collecting a large amount of data. But they are now really faced with a number of challenges. First one is well, storage of the data, especially uh, the companies that have infrastructure to, to store the data on-prem, they are faced with this capacity constraints. And then the second issue is the extracting, basically extracting meaningful signals from this massive amount of data. And third one is really doing it on time and effectively. Now, the tools that security organizations use fall short in addressing these challenges. Now, on the other hand, data lake technology has evolved significantly over the last 10 years and actually is being successfully used in revenue generating business functions such as marketing, sales, and customer engagement. Now, after seeing at how data lake has become a game changer for the revenue generating functions. And then also their targeted messaging by the leading vendors in big data industry. Security organizations are now starting to recognize that Data Lake may address their challenges. Awesome. So in your article, you mentioned what a seam is. 
So what's the difference between a data lake and a seam? Seam to me is much more than a, you know, just a place to store data and process the data. It definitely has those functions. But then beyond that, it actually provides a number of security operation-specific features in the form of user interfaces to configure correlation engines where you can configure those rules, then search interface for forensics, and then also the triage process, dashboards and reports, also part of the uh, interface. And then on top of that, the workflows, including the triage workflow, ticketing and case management, all those workflows are baked in SIEM. SIEM really provide a purpose-built solution to manage the security operations workflows. But unlike Data Lake, SIEM tools do not make it easy to access data. And they also do not provide a way to run arbitrary analytics code against the data. So those are a little bit, some of those limitations, but SIEM uh, is definitely much more than Data Lake. On the other hand, Data Lake has its own advantages. So SIEM platforms are very broadly used in the security industry today. What do you see as the key limitations of those platforms currently? Yeah, so SIEM, they are broadly used because they were really a revolution in cybersecurity when they arrived. In, I think, about 2005, that time frame, when Gartner actually made SIEM as an official you know, category, SIEM, they enable bringing information management and event management together, that in itself enable efficiencies in security operations workflows. Now, over these last two decades, ID infrastructure has increasingly become more distributed. And as a result, to keep up with this infrastructure and sensors, right, uh, by deploying multiple sensors, security data has grown exponentially. With this, now, IT, the um, businesses that have seen solutions with on-prem deployment, they are just running into multiple challenges. Uh, capacity constraints is one of them, but then also there's some limitations in, in SIM, including the rule-based you know, uh, correlation engine. And that requires just a high maintenance because anytime you introduce a new use case, you have to go and change the rule, you know, change uh, uh, and then deploy those rules, and that requires a lot of maintenance. And besides that, SIEM does not provide a good solution for more complex use cases that just aren't going to be solved, you know, that easily, or in some cases, aren't even feasible with rule-based correlation solutions. Now, um, as I mentioned earlier, SIEMs like advanced analytics uh, capabilities and they kind of rely on restrictive languages to query uh, and interact with the data, especially just, just mainly through the search interface. So how do you propose to solve the SIEM limitations that you speak of, and what should security pros be seriously considering adding to their toolkits today? There are, at a higher level, two different options. I, I see option number one is really about taking a look at your SIEM deployment, and if it is on-prem, there's an option to look into expanding into a cloud-based SIM solution, but that can also mean, as long as it's the same solution, it may be feasible, but if you're completely changing the SIM solution, then you really need to pay attention to how it is gonna impact your current security operations. 
because there are a lot of workflows built on Seam and also just a learning curve is going to be another challenge. And also make sure that in with that option to look at this option of alternate Seam in cloud and see if it actually provides you a flexibility to bring your own custom advanced analytics models. And that flexibility is going to be really important. So keep an eye on those things. Even if the vendors say that, yeah, the Seam can do all these things, you need to really validate. Now, second option is to really consider investing in something like Data Lake. And Data Lake is going to provide you with the uh, additional you know, storage for longer retention. They can also serve the data for advanced analytics use cases. And they can also uh, be a source of the data for the security-related use cases, such as ticketing. And then there are IT ops processes that also depend on the security data, such as licensing, asset inventory management. So you can offload those to Data Lake instead of running those on scene. Then the second part to this second option is really the real-time streaming-based data feeding to Seam. And this can actually help you filter out the noise from the data before it is sent to Seam. And third one is, as I mentioned earlier, advanced analytics. You really want to consider investing in advanced analytics technologies like AI and ML. And these will enable you in addressing some of those complex use cases that cannot be solved efficiently, or in some cases, they cannot be solved at all uh, with uh, many of the current Seam uh, solutions. And last but not the least is the real-time stream processing. And this will really help in further reducing the burden off of Seam to build rich context, and in some cases, even early detection of the security uh, incidents. Awesome. So what are the common standards for accessing stored data currently? There are a couple of different standards there. In fact, a few different standards, depending on what the use case is. Now, if you want to search sitting in data lake storage, there is an index search query that you can build on top of data lake storage. And the nice thing about data lake is it provides you a storage. And then on top of that, you can have different engines running, query engines running on top of uh, the storage. One of them is the index search query engine. And second one is uh, SQL. SQL provides uh, programmers, uh, software engineers and data engineers to access the data using the standard SQL. It has been there for, for many years. So it is a de facto standard. And then when it comes to different programming languages, they have uh, support for the driver, JDBC driver, including you know, the, the Spark, uh, Python, Scala. These are different languages that typical data engineer uses. And data scientists as well, they use some of these uh, tools. So uh, really, I would be talking about search type of query or SQL query. And also, uh, there are other non-SQL query engines as well that you can deploy on top of the data storage. As long as they provide a SQL compliant interface, then you should be in good shape. So how is data actually put into a data lake? There are multiple different options there as well. And one of the options is really about bringing the data in a batch mode. And this is applicable for more 
entity-oriented data assets, especially the CMDB type of data, user identity, some more contextual you know, enrichment sources, you can pull that data. If that data is not changing that frequently, then you can pull that data in a batch mode. You can either do a full refresh or delta refresh. And then there's another option also for this type of data, enrichment data is on-demand pulling the data from a data source using an API. If the data source is small, then API is okay. But API in general for a large data set is, it doesn't work that well. And then the third one is the instrumented sources. This is where the actual activities, activity data is coming from. That can be uh, either push, most likely push is what we want to look at. And this is where the streaming comes into picture. Using streaming, you can bring in data, you can ingest the data into data lake, but also then you can enable on the wire parsing, enrichment, aggregation, uh, and in fact, uh, some of the uh, ML model scoring as well as the data is flowing in data lake. So how are we going to get to more useful intelligence out of all these systems we're using to collect the data? Yeah, so first one is the uh, real-time streaming is going to give you an opportunity to reduce the detection time and then also an ability to enrich the data, the activity data and filtering of the data, right? So those will really help reducing the burden on scene, but really mainly is the detecting the events in near real time. So reducing the time to detect. And the second one is uh, the elasticity of cloud to run AI and ML, especially the cloud compute. You can run the workloads for AI and ML. AI, ML, these are the data science models, which can actually really help you in addressing some of those use cases that have not been resolved or cannot be resolved that efficiently. So some of the examples are behavior-based anomaly detection, where you, you know, start taking the baseline of the user and user's profile, meaning the normal activities of the user, and then look for some anomalies to that. That can be one of the use cases. The lateral movement uh, detection as the, uh, the attacker basically goes on the host that has been compromised and then moves around right, and looks for some data to exfilter and uh, any other things that the, the, um, the attacker may try to do. Now, uh, third one is obviously the data filtration. And these, this is where this is kind of typical where the uh, attacker moves data asset from one system to other system and then eventually kind of brings it out, right, uh, does the egress of the data. And then in, in more advanced state, zero-day threats as well. There could be potential solutions there using AI ML-based uh, solution. So these are all different, you know, useful intelligence uh, solutions that we're looking at, which aren't necessarily feasible today with traditional scene solutions that we have. Awesome. So how is a data lake actually implemented, and then what are the goals of doing it? Data lakes, I'm going to talk about basically in three different areas that you want to pay attention to how the data while implementing a data lake, especially for security. One is that the data lake needs to be large, meaning it needs to have a storage that can hold a large amount of data. It needs to have a very elastic compute. 
uh, right, elastic compute to process that data, to extract the value out of that data. Now, initial implementations of data lake involve on-premise Hadoop installations, which involve tightly coupled data storage as well as compute. And these installations being on on-prem, they ran into the same issues, same constraints that seem actually traditional SIEM installations, on-prem installations are running into. That's a capacity constraint. So this is where now Data Lake has evolved into cloud with the cloud uh, object storage and then also cloud compute for data processing engines. So this is about more of the technology, where you want to deploy. And cloud, it seems like a right solution for the amount of data that we're talking about and the, the need for the elastic compute. Now, the second uh, set of capabilities or second uh, area that you want to pay attention to is the, the capabilities that you want to have in your data lake. One of the key capabilities is going to be your data governance capabilities. This set of capabilities will include data catalog, data quality, data lifecycle management, and the reason for data catalog is as you bring in all this data from different sources, you really want to make sure that the users can easily find these assets in data lake. So it really requires you to create a good data catalog so that they can easily find uh, the data assets they're looking for. And second one is the amount of data is going to be humongous. I mean, we're talking about multi-petabyte and hundreds of petabytes, and then at some point in time, it's not going to be efficient to store that much data in terms of not only the cost, but also processing. Because if you have large amount of data and you're processing all that data all the time, it's not going to be efficient. You want to make sure that you want to remove the, the old data that is no longer needed. And that is going to be good for from compliance perspective as well. GDPR and regulatory um, compliance uh, perspective as well. The additional capabilities that you want to pay attention to is the ontologies. And ontologies are going to be really important because as the data is brought in in its native format, when you're trying to extract the value out of the data, first thing you want to do is parse the data, make sense out of the data. And in this case, when you're parsing the data, you know, you're going to look for uh, certain fields out of the data. For example, IP address. IP address actually can be the actual tag for the IP address or the key for the IP address, maybe IP address or IP dash address or IP ADD uh, are, uh, you know, some kind of short form. So there are all sort of variations there. So when you include all these variations in your code, your code is going to be very complex. So ontologies will actually help you in abstracting this and providing that abstraction layer and translation layer so that your queries remain simple, and then you have a central place where you can manage those ontologies. This way you can minimize the impact on your downstream data dependent solutions that you have built to process the data and extract value out of the data. And the third one is the, uh, uh, the capabilities of, to support the advanced analytics. You really wanna make sure that the solution that you build for Data Lake has AI, ML engineering support out of the box or a good integration with the AI, ML services that the public cloud providers provide. And the third one, uh, so 
these are the, this was the second block. And the third one is really about ensuring there's an integration between scene and data lake. Because as you use data lake for uh, the data, longer retention of the data, archival of the data, you want to make sure that the data in scene is linked to the raw data in data lake. And then you are able to then uh, address those compliance requirements. These are the three big, bigger blocks of three different areas of uh, focus that you may want to pay attention to while building a data lake. Adobe is changing the world through digital experiences. Great experiences have the power to inspire, transform, and move the world forward. And every great experience starts with creativity. Creativity is in our DNA, and the future belongs to those who create. Our game-changing innovations are redefining the possibilities of digital experiences. We connect content and data and introduce new technologies that democratize creativity, shape the next generation of storytelling, and inspire entirely new categories of business. Making these great experiences requires trust. At Adobe, we're committed to protecting the security, privacy, and availability of our products, systems, and data, so you can deliver trusted experiences every day. You can learn more about our efforts on the Adobe Trust Center. So for our audience, you, uh, you mentioned the word ontologies. Can you just give a brief description of what that is? Yeah, so ontology is really a, a set of concepts and schemas. So ontology, uh, as I mentioned about uh, the IP address. So ontology for uh, IT asset. For that, you can uh, define what a host is, what an IP address is, and any additional fields that you want to define. The schema itself is going to give you that translation in a consistent format to represent that data in a consistent format. The mapping between all these different terms, the IP address example that I gave earlier, and a standardized IP address uh, attribute name in the schema, that will be really part of the overall ontology. So why is it important to understand the difference between different types of data, especially regarding data storage? That's a great question. Now we're talking about different types of data coming in, in data lake, and we want to store it. At the end of the day, really, we want to make sure that the data is accessible in the, in the most efficient way. So there are two different types of major categories of the, the data. One is the time series data, which is really activity centric. That includes your logs, your events, and in some some cases, uh, binary you know data coming in binary format, for example, packet captures. And the second category is the contextual data, which is more entity centric. And this include the CMDB, then asset context uh, you know collected through endpoint detection and response tools like EDR solutions, your HR data. Uh, your identity management systems, uh, they provide your identities for the users and also the access management as well. That is another one as well. And then DHCP logs uh, to build a lookups for machines to basically MAC address to IP address translation. This type of data is usually stored in a uh, more easily accessible key value store uh, type of uh, storage. 
so that you can quickly access this data and use it to contextualize the time series uh, data that is coming in, the activity data. So those are the two major categories when you look at the data from how it will be used and also more of the uh, semantics of the data. And then there are other additional considerations. You know, when we talk about the types, you know, the technical level, there are different types of data as well. Uh, when it comes to how it is stored, there's a parquet format, there's delta format, iceberg format. Uh, all these are different formats of the data, especially for the time series data. And then contextual data as you know, the key value is, is basically uh, at its core. It may come in the form of uh, or column oriented uh, data, or it could be a simple key value store in memory support so that it can be really fast to access the data out of this key value store. So how does artificial intelligence and machine learning help solve the security intelligence problem? Yeah. So, um, the problems that we have with security intelligence today are some of those use cases aren't really feasible to solve or not very efficient to solve, especially if you're looking at, you know, user behavior or even uh, IT asset, you know, how, it, what kind of uh, uh, network flows occur as a base, as part of the baseline profile for the IT, IT asset. And so these type of problems really require some learning and artificial uh, intelligence and machine learning, they, they give you that option. They enable you to really build that baseline profile and then look for anomalies in, in that profile. Now, so this is one uh, really enabling the new use cases or the use cases that are actually now becoming real, especially with the complexity that we have in the IT infrastructure, how the attackers are really getting uh, smart uh, in their uh, tactics and procedures. The second one is as you uh, detect these harder problems, but even the simpler pro problems, these models are learning on their own. That means you don't have to tune your rule set, right? Uh, the uh, the correlation, correlation rules. And that also means that these models are deployed automatically and they are gonna reduce your maintenance, overall maintenance. And third one is they can reduce the time to detect, uh, as I mentioned, because of the automation, if you deploy them, especially in uh, near real time, you know, basically a streaming infrastructure, you can deploy those models in various different places. One of them is streaming, second is a batch, and you can even have a uh, model basically deployed that so that it can be queried. Now, streaming will be a really a good place where you can reduce the time to detect. And fourth one is if you automate the remediation, they, it can also help in reducing time to respond. And the fifth one I see is really they can be uh, used to, these models can be used to reduce triage uh, investigation by augmenting search with the technologies like graph databases. Something like Google does, you know, uh, to some extent, when you search in, on Google, it not only gives you the results, but also gives you additional links as well so that it makes it easy for you to navigate to the next thing that you want to be searching about. So those are the things I think uh, are really applicable here as well. So AI and ML can really help you in many different ways if you apply them in the right places. So why does Adobe consider going beyond Seam and developing a security data lake to be critical to the success of its security operations? 
Just like any other large companies, Adobe has also experienced an exponential growth in security data and all the related challenges that come with the growth of the data. We also have an opportunity here to solve this by using our own strength as well, because Adobe is also a data company. Adobe has products like uh, Adobe Experience Platform. That is one of the, the products that is really at its core is the data lake. And Adobe has been really successful and we got the talent in Adobe and really innovation is in Adobe's DNA. So we want to actually take on this challenge to address the security uh, operations related key issues, which are really important for the company. So can you help our audience understand sharding a little bit better and then its relation to a seam and mitigating the one machine problem? So sharding uh, is really about uh, managing the data while it is in storage, especially when you have a huge amount of data and some of the data is going to be you know, in, in files and that data needs to be really spread across multiple machines, or multiple you know, nodes, what, what they call, right? In data lake, uh, it's a typical term, data nodes. In that case, the sharding is an approach to break that data into smaller chunks. And that way, these smaller chunks of data is spread across multiple machines, but also easy to access when you need to access. So that's what really sharding is all about. As far as SIEM is concerned, if it is an on-prem uh, SIEM deployment, then depending on how large the, the data is on-prem, you will still benefit from sharding, but really this sharding problem becomes really critical. Sharding as a solution becomes really critical when the data volume is really humongous, and it can be uh, really useful in cloud as, as you enable you know, uh, the larger storage to bring in more data and then the data volume grows and you need to have a proper way to manage this data distributed across multiple nodes. And another advantage of sharding will be you can have replicas for each of these shards. And so that way, those replicas can also be distributed across other nodes, not on the same node. That way, if you lose one node, then you have a replica to go to and you can access that data. Sharding makes it really easy also to access the data depending on your need. And so really sharding comes down to what are your access patterns? And those are the things that you need to really consider while sharding the data. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Regarding real-time correlation, can you expand a little on how systems inquire a notion of state to remember what they have already seen and then why does it get interesting when running the CEP engines in a distributed environment? A notion of state is really about keeping the process data and the process state of the data easily accessible, right? And that state needs to be um, stored. For example, let's say you are doing an aggregation. You are counting how many uh, certain types of events have occurred. And in that case, you want to actually keep that count, right? Uh, you can keep it in memory where the compute is done, but then in, an, in a distributed infrastructure or distributed system, that memory needs to be shared. 
that also means that now all of these other nodes, they will need to have a copy of that state. So there are other patterns or better options are really um, to use in-memory databases to uh, uh, cache, right? Uh, in-memory cache solutions, which are independent and also distributed uh, so that you get the um, high availability and also easy access to this state, which is really necessary to increment your next count, aggregate count. So that way, all these other nodes that are adding or detecting uh, an event that contributes to that aggregate, then they can just simply uh, increment that aggregate that is managed as part of a centrally managed or distributed cache. So that is really the notion of state, which is really important. And it cannot be really stored in a uh, on disk because then it becomes really hard. And basically, if physics is, uh, is against you, in that case, you want to have really quick access to the data because the data is flowing in, in near real time, a real time in a, really a massive volume. And in that case, you really want to have access, quick access to this data, this state data. And uh, you really have to uh, think about in-memory caching type of solution, which is highly available as well. That is really the critical part that you want to pay attention to. Awesome. So before we close, is there anything else you'd like to mention to our audience? Yeah, so uh, in summary, Seam, you have two options. One is you know, either to enhance Seam with better Seam solutions, but be very careful in terms of what you're getting. And the second option, obviously, I talked about the data lake, and that will really help you to immediately augment your Seam, but also will be a strategic investment. Then when it comes to the Seam vendors, I think it is a matter of time. I, I bet they're not sitting idle. They must be thinking about how to solve this problem using data lake instead of losing their business to their competitors. And the last but the not the least is, which is my personal favorite, try to use the right tool for a given job. And that is really the uh, important message that I wanna kind of share with the audience is really assess your needs critically and using architecture competency in your company and invest in the right tools uh, so that you can be successful in doing your job, especially for security operations. Awesome, thank you. Just to add on to that, is there anywhere that uh, our audience can go to explore more into this? Good question, Colleen. This is such a new topic in the security domain but uh, as far as the data lake is concerned, there's a ton of uh, material on the web. You can look at some of the vendors that are really being successful. You know, vendors like Databricks, Snowflake. These are more general purpose, you know, data lakes uh, providers. In fact, Databricks has something called Lakehouse. So these technologies will really help you if you search on these vendors' websites you'll get a ton of information about what a data lake is. But then if you wanna really learn about more details about the technology, then there are additional resources. There are a number of books that have been written on this uh, subject. Last but the not, not the least is talk to the experienced uh, engineers and architects, uh, the technical folks who have done this before. And they will actually give you uh, unbiased opinion what they think 
in terms of you know what solutions you should be uh, how to even evaluate a, a given solution so then you you can actually learn a lot awesome thank you i appreciate it yeah krishna you and i could probably talk about this stuff all day but that's all the time that we have left thank you again for taking the time to chat with me today if you want to read more from adobe click on the link in the description below again my name is colin better and thank you guys for tuning in